0: the first question. Can you talk about facing the death of each moment and letting go? Death is already happening. Whether you face it or not, whether you look at it or not, it is already there. It is just like breathing. When the child is born, for the first time he inhales, he breathes in. That is the beginning of life and when he will become old, and one day he will die, he will exhale. Death always happens with exhalation, and birth with inhalation. But exhalation and inhalation are happening continuously. With each inhalation you are born, with each exhalation you die. So the first thing to understand is that death is not somewhere in the future waiting for you, as it has been always pictured. It is part of the life. It is an ongoing process, not in the future, here now. Life and death are two aspects of existence, simultaneously together. Ordinarily you have been taught to think death as against life. Death is not against life. Life is not possible without death. Death is the very ground on which life exists. Death and life are like two wings, the bird cannot fly with one wing, and being cannot be without death. So, the first thing is a clear understanding what we mean by death. Death is absolutely a necessary process for life to be. It is not the enemy, it is the friend. And it is not there somewhere in the future, it is here now. It is not going to happen, it has been always happening. Since you have been here, it has been with you. With each exhalation it happens, a little death, a small death. Because of fear, we have put it in the future. Because the mind always tries to avoid things which it cannot comprehend. Death is one of the most incomprehensible mysteries. There are only three mysteries in life. Life, death and love. And all these three are beyond mind. So mind takes life for granted. Then there is no need to inquire. That is the way of avoiding. You never think, you never meditate on life. You simply have accepted it, taken for granted. It is a tremendous mystery. You are alive, but don't think that you have known life. For death, mind plays another trick, it postpones it. Because to accept it here and now will be a constant worry so the mind puts it somewhere in the future and there is no hurry. When it will come, we will see. And for love, mind has created substitutes which are not love. Sometimes you call your possessiveness your love, sometimes you call your attachment your love, Sometimes you call your domination your love. These are ego games. Love has nothing to do with them. In fact, because of these games, love is not possible. Between life and death, between the two banks of life and death, flows the river of love. And that is possible only for a person who has not taken life for granted and moves deep into the quality of being alive, becomes existential, authentic. And love is for the person who accepts death here and now and does not postpone it then between these two a beautiful phenomenon arises, the river of love. Life and death are like two banks. The possibility is there for the river of love to flow, but it is only a possibility. You will have to materialize it. Life and death are there, love has to be materialized. That is the goal of being a human. Unless love materializes, you have missed. You have missed the whole point of being. Death is already happening, so don't put it in the future. If you don't put in the future, then there is no question of defending yourself. If it is already happening, and it has been already happening always, then there is no question to protect yourself against death. Death has not killed you. It has been happening and you are still alive. It is just now happening, and life is not destroyed by it. In fact, because of it, life renews itself each moment. The old leaves fall, they make a space for the new leaves to come. The old flowers disappear, the new flowers appear, One door closes, another immediately opens. Each moment you die, and each moment there is resurrection. Once a Christian missionary came to me and he asked, Do you believe in Jesus Christ's resurrection? I told him there is no need to go so far, each moment everybody is resurrected. But he could not understand. It is difficult, people who are too much in their ideology. He said, but do you believe that he was crucified? Is not this just a myth or a reality? What do you think? I said to him again that everybody is crucified every moment. That is the whole meaning of Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. Whether it is historical or not does not matter in the bit. It is simply irrelevant to think whether it happened or not. It is a happening. Each moment the past is crucified, the old leaves disappear and each moment the new being arises in you, resurrects. It is a constant miracle. The second thing to understand about death is that death is the only certainty. Everything else is uncertain it may happen, it may not happen. Death is certain, because in birth half of it has already happened. The other end must be somewhere. The other pole must be somewhere in the dark you have not come across it because you are afraid, you don't move in the dark. But it is certain with birth death has become a certainty. Once this certainty penetrates your understanding, you are relaxed. Whenever something is absolutely certain, then there is no worry. Worry arises out of uncertainty. Watch, a man is dying, and he is very much in worry. The moment death becomes certain, and the doctors say, no, you cannot be saved, he is shocked. A shivering goes through his being. But then things settle, and immediately all worries disappear. If the person is allowed to know that he is going to die, and death is certain, with that certainty a peace, a silence, comes to his being. Every person who is dying Has the right to know it. Doctors go on hiding many times, thinking that why disturb? But uncertainty disturbs, certainty never. This hanging in between, this being in the limbo, whether one is going to live or die, this is the root cause of all worry. Once it is certain that you are going to die, then there is nothing to do. Then simply one accepts it, and in that acceptance a calmness, a tranquility. So if the person is allowed to know that he is going to die, in the moment of death he becomes peaceful. In the East we have been practicing that since millennia. Not only that, in countries like Tibet particular techniques were evolved to help the man to die. They call it bardo thodol, When a person is dying, friends, relatives, acquaintances will gather together around him to give him absolute certainty that he is going to die and to help him relax. Because if you can die in total relaxation, the quality of death changes your new birth somewhere will be of a higher quality, because the quality of the birth is decided by death. And then, in turn, the quality of birth will decide the quality of another death. That's how one goes higher and higher, one evolves. And whenever a person becomes absolutely certain about death, a flame arises on his face, you can see. In fact, a miracle happens. He becomes so much alive as he has never been before. There is a saying in India that before a flame dies, it becomes tremendously intense. Just for a moment it flares up, to totality i was reading a small anecdote once there were two little worms the first was lazy and improvident and always stayed in bed late the other was always up early going about his business The early bird caught the early worm. Then along came a fisherman with a flashlight and caught the night crawler. Moral, you can't win. (laughs) Death is certain. Whatsoever you do, get up early, are not. Death is certain. It has already happened, that's why it is certain. It is already happening, that's why it is certain. So why wait for the moment when you will be dying on your bed? Why not make it certain right now? Just watch If I say death is certain, can't you feel within you fear disappearing? Can't you feel the very idea, and it is just an idea right now, not your experience, just an idea that death is certain, and you are calm and quiet, if you can experience it, and you can, because it is a fact I am not talking about theories, I don't deal in theories. This is a simple fact. Just open your eyes and watch it. And don't try to avoid it, there is no way to avoid it. In avoiding you miss. Accept it. Embrace it. And live with the consciousness that each moment you die and each moment you are born. And allow it to happen. Don't cling to the past. It is no more. It is already gone. Why go on carrying dead things? Why be so much burdened with corpses? Drop them and you will feel weightlessness, and you will feel unburdened. And once you drop the past, future drops on its own accord, because future is nothing but a projection of the past. In the past you had some pleasures. Now the mind projects those same pleasures in the future. In the past you had some sufferings, Now the mind projects a future in which those sufferings are not allowed to happen. That's what your future is. What else your future is? Pleasures that you enjoyed in the past are projected. Miseries dropped. A modified future, more colorful past, a modified past painted, repainted, renovated. But it is the past. Once the past drops, suddenly the future drops. And then you are left here and now. Then you are in existence, you are existential. And that is the only way to be. All other ways are just to avoid life, And the more you avoid life, the more you become afraid of death. A person who is really living is not in any way afraid of death. If you are rightly living, you are finished with death. You are already too much grateful, fulfilled. But if you have not lived, then the constant worry continues that I have not lived yet, and death is coming. And death will stop all. And with death there will be no future. So one becomes apprehensive, afraid, and tries to avoid death. In trying that, in avoiding death, one goes on missing life. Forget about that avoidance. Live life. In living life death is avoided. In living life you become so fulfilled that if this very moment death comes and the future, future stops, you will be ready. You will be happily ready. You have lived your life, you have delighted in existence, you celebrated it you are contented. There is no complaint, no grumbling. You don't have any grudge. You welcome death. And unless you can welcome death, one thing is certain that you have not lived I have heard one anecdote: two Hungarian noblemen fell into a deadly quarrel. But since neither was anxious to risk his life with either sword or pistol, a bloodless duel was decided upon. Each was to speak a number, and the one presenting the higher number would be adjudged the winner. The seconds were, of course, at hand. And the excitement and suspense were extreme as the two noblemen, seated at opposite ends of a long table, bent to the task of thinking of a high number. They challenged the challenged party, who had the privilege of going first, thought long and hard. The veins on his temples swelled, and the perspiration stood out on his forehead. Three, he said finally. The other dualist said at once, well, that beats me. (laughs) When you are afraid of death, even number three (laughs) is the ultimate. When you are afraid of death, you go on finding excuses, how to go on living. Whether your life means anything or not, one simply goes on finding excuses to prolong. In the West now, there is a craze how to prolong life that simply shows that somewhere life is being missed. Whenever a country or a culture starts thinking how to prolong life, it simply shows one thing, that life is not being lived. If you live life, then even a single moment is enough. A single moment can be equal to eternity. It is not a question of length, it is a question of depth. It is not a question of quantity, it is a question of quality. Just think, would you like one moment of Buddha's life, or you would like a thousand years of your own life? Then you will be able to understand what I mean, the quality, the intensity, the depth. In a single moment fulfillment is possible. You can bloom and blossom, and you may not bloom for one thousand years, and you may remain hiding in the seed. This is the difference between the scientific attitude towards life and the religious attitude. The scientific attitude is concerned with prolongation, how to prolong life it is not concerned with significance. So you can find in the hospitals, particularly in the West, old people, just hanging. They want to die, but the culture won't allow them. They are fed up with just being alive. They are simply vegetating, no significance, no meaning, no poetry. Everything has disappeared. They are burdened to themselves. They are asking for atnasya. But the society does not allow. The society is so much afraid of death that it does not allow even people who are ready to die. The very word death is a taboo word. More taboo than sex. Sex has become almost accepted by and by. Now death also needs a fried to make it accepted so that it is no more a taboo, and people can talk about it. And people can share their experiences about it. And there is no need to hide it. And there is no need to force people to live against themselves. In hospitals, in old people's homes, people are simply hanging. Because the society, the culture, the law won't allow them. And if they ask, that they should be allowed to die, it looks like as if they are asking for suicide. They are not asking for suicide. In fact, they have become dead corpses. They are living suicide. They are asking to get rid of it, because the length is not the meaning. How long you live is not the point. How deep you live, how intensely you live, how totally you live, the quality. Science is concerned about quantity. Religion is concerned about quality. Religion is concerned with the art of how to live life and how to die life. seven years, seventy years, or seven hundred years. What difference it will make? You will go on repeating the same vicious circle, again and again and again. You will simply get more and more bored. So change the focus of your being. Learn how to live each moment and learn how to die each moment, because both are together. If you know how to die each moment, you will be able to live each moment, fresh, young virgin. Die to the past. Don't allow it to interfere your present. The moment you have passed from it, let it be no more there. It is no more there, only in your memory it goes on. It is just a remembrance. Let this remembrance also be released. This psychological hang-up should not be allowed. I am not saying that you forget everything that you know. I am not saying that all memory is bad. It has technical uses. You have to know how to drive, you have to know where your home is, you have to recognize your wife and your children. But those are not psychological hang-ups. When you come home, of course, you recognize that she is your wife. This is factual memory, useful, enhances life, facilitates it. But if you come home and you look at your wife, and with all the past experiences with the wife, then that is a psychological hang-up. Yesterday she was angry. Now again you look with that memory in between, your eyes clouded by that memory, The day before yesterday she was sad, or was nasty and nagging. Now, if you look through all these psychological impressions, then you are not looking at the woman who is right now standing in front of you. You are looking at someone who is not there, you are seeing someone who does not exist. You are looking at a ghost. She is not your wife, and she may also be looking in the same way. So ghosts meet, and realities remain separate. Ghosts are married, and realities are divorced. then these two ghosts will make love. These two ghosts will fight, quarrel, and do thousand and one things, and the realities will be far, far away. There will be no contact. Realities will not have any connection. And then there can be no communication. There can be no dialogue. Only realities can love ghosts can only make impotent gestures, movements, but no life in them. Drop the past each moment. Remember to drop it. Just as you clean your house every morning, Every moment, clean your inner house of the past. All psychological memories have to be dropped, just factual things, and your mind will be very, very clean and clear. Don't move ahead of yourself in future, because that is not possible to do. Future remains unknown. That is its beauty, that is its grandeur, glory. If it becomes known, it will be useless, because then the whole excitement and the whole surprise will be lost. Don't expect anything in the future. Don't corrupt it, because all your expectation, if fulfilled, then too will make you miserable, because it is your expectation and fulfilled. You will not be happy about it. Happiness is possible only through surprise, Happiness is possible only when something happens which you had never expected, when something takes you completely unawares, If your expectations are fulfilled hundred percent, you will be living as if in the past, not in the future. You come home and you expected your wife to say something, and she says. And you expected your child to behave in a certain way, and the child behaves. Just think, you will be constantly in boredom. Nothing will happen. Everything will be just a repetition, as if you are seeing something which you have seen before hearing something which you have heard before. Continuously you will see it is a repetition of something, and repetition can never be satisfying. New, the novel, the original is needed. So if your expectations are fulfilled, you will remain completely unfulfilled. Unfulfilled. And if your expectations are not fulfilled, then you feel frustrated. Then you feel constantly as if you propose and God goes on disposing. You feel the God as the enemy. You feel as if everybody is against you and everybody is working against you. Your expectations are never fulfilled you feel frustrated. Just meditate upon your expectations. If they are fulfilled, you will feel bored. If they are not fulfilled, you will feel cheated. As if a conspiracy is going on against you, the whole existence conspiring against you, you will feel exploited, you will feel rejected you will not be able to feel at home. And the whole problem arises because you expect. Don't go ahead in the future. Drop expectations. Once you drop expectations, you have learned how to live. Then everything that happens fulfills you, whatsoever it is. You never feel frustrated one thing, Because in the first place you never expect it. So frustration is impossible. Frustration is a shadow of expectation. Expectation dropped, frustration drops on its own accord. You cannot frustrate me because I never expect anything. Whatsoever you do, I will say good. I always say good except only a few times when I say very good. Once expectations are not there, you are free to move into the unknown and accept the unknown whatsoever it brings and accept it with deep gratitude. complaints disappear, grumbling disappears. Whatsoever the situation, you always feel accepted at home. Nobody is against you. Existence is not a conspiracy against you. It is your home. Second, and everything happens unexpected, everything becomes new. It brings freshness in your life, a fresh breeze continuously blowing. It does not allow dust to gather on you. Your doors and your windows are open. Comes sunshine, comes the breeze, comes the fragrance of the flowers, and everything unexpected. And you had never asked, and the existence goes on sovereign on you. One feels God is the proposition God is is not a proposition. It is a statement of someone who has lived un- unexpectedly, without any expectations, who has lived in wonder. God is not a logical hypothesis. It is an exclamation of joy. It is just like, Aha! It doesn't mean anything more. It simply means, Aha! So beautiful, so wonderful, so new, so novel, and beyond anything that you could have dreamt. Yes, life is more adventurous than any adventure that you can imagine. And life is pregnant, always pregnant with the unknown. Once you expect, everything is destroyed. Drop the past, that is the way of how to die each moment. Never plan for the future, that is the way how to allow life to flow through you. And then you remain in a unfrozen state flowing. This is what I call a sannyasin, with no past, with no future. just at this moment, alive, intensely alive, a flame burning from both the ends, a torch burning from both the ends. And this is what let go is. The second question A short time ago I heard you say that you saw yourself standing in the marketplace with a bottle of alcohol in your hand, Today I was refused darshan because alcohol was on my breath. This is from Vedanta. <coughs> what I say and what you hear are not necessarily the same. My alcohol is my alcohol, Your alcohol is your alcohol. When I am talking about alcohol, I am not talking about your alcohol. I am talking about the alcohol of Buddhas. Yes, they are drunk, drunk with the Divine. But I can understand, you go on hearing that which you want to hear. You don't hear me. You manipulate. You manage to hear whatsoever you want to hear. Your unconscious goes on interfering. It goes on confusing you. Yes, I said. That I am in the marketplace and not only in the marketplace but with a bottle in my hand. This is an old Zen saying. Zen says finally, one who has understood himself comes back to the world and comes completely drunk. But why a bottle in the hand? the meaning is clear not only he is drunk he is drunk he has something to offer to you also that is the meaning of the bottle in the hand if you are ready he can make you also drunk he has something to offer to you not only that he is drunk he can share his drunkenness with you hence the bottle He has some invitation, invitation for you. That's why he has come to the marketplace. You go to the marketplace to get something. He has come to the marketplace to give something. He has found something. And this finding is such that it has to be shared. Sharing is its intrinsic nature. You cannot keep your bliss to yourself. It is as if a flower is trying to keep its fragrance to itself, or a star is trying to keep its light to itself. It is not possible. When there is light, it spreads it goes to others. It helps even those who are not even prepared to take its help. The fragrance disperses into the winds. For friends and for foes alike, Once a man has attained, he has to share. Not that he has to do something to share it, he simply finds himself sharing. He cannot do otherwise. He moves to the marketplace where people are, where People are stumbling in darkness, he brings his light to them. Where people are thirsty, he brings his own drunkenness to be shared with them. Yes, I am drunk and I have a bottle in my hand. Can't you see it? But it is not your bottle. But people have an unconscious tendency to hear something which is not said. I have heard one anecdote a cave woman running to her husband in the greatest possible agitation. Vogue, she called out. Something terrible has just happened. A saber toothed tiger has gone into my mother's cave and sees in there. Do something! Do something! Vogue looked up from the Mastodon drumstick at which he was gnawing and said, Why should I do something? What the devil do I care what happens to a saber toothed tiger? It is not necessarily that you hear that which is said. Your unconscious continuously colors whatsoever you hear, it continuously interprets in its own ways. the words may be the same. But a slight jerk to the meaning, a slight turning, and everything changes. After ten years of marriage, a man was consulting a marriage counsellor. When I first married, he said, I was very happy. When I would come home, at night my little dog would race around barking and my wife would bring me my slippers. Now, after all these years when I come home, my dog brings me my slippers and my wife barks at me. (laughs) What is the complaint? asked the counselor. You are still getting the same service. (laughs) Yes, the service is same, but it is still not the same. You may hear my words, and you may think the meaning is the same. It is not. So please be careful. Handle my words very carefully. They are delicate. And before you decide, what they mean. Don't be in a hurry. Meditate. Otherwise, not only you will miss, you may misunderstand. And not only my words will not be able to help you, they can be harmful. The third question Is it possible for a politician to be enlightened? Never heard. Never has happened. There are intrinsic problems. The very dimension the politician moves is against enlightenment. few things have to be understood. Politics is a diametrically opposite phenomenon than religion. A scientist can easily become religious. His approach is different but not opposite. He may have been Working with matter, with objective world. But his working is a sort of meditation. He needs a certain space in his consciousness, a silent space to work, to discover. It is not very difficult to move from the objects towards subjectivity, because the same space can be used for the inner journey. A poet can very easily become religious. He is very close, very, very close, almost in the neighborhood. A painter a sculpture can very easily become religious. They are already religious unknowingly. They are already worshippers, though they have not yet worshipped. They may not have thought about God. They may not have consciously being religious at all. They may not go to the church or to the temple, they may not be concerned with the Bible and the Quran and the Gita, but that is not the point. A painter goes on looking in nature something divine. Colors are divine for him. A poet goes on feeling something of the religious romance all around. All creative arts are very closely related. Any moment consciousness can dawn, any ray can become a transformation. But a politician moves in a diametrically opposite direction. His whole training is against religion, I have heard an anecdote. The congressman had delivered a stirring speech against a controversial bill. He was promptly buried in mountains of mail from back home as constituents wrote condemning his stand. Next day he was back on his feet in the house, this time making a speech in favor of the bill. When he finished, a colleague colored him. Yesterday, said the colleague, you made an eloquent explanation of the principles which motivated your instinct. I wonder what has happened to change your mind. Someday, said the congressman, you will learn that there comes a time in every man's life when he must rise above mere principles. A politician is an opportunist. In fact, he has no principles. He talks about principles, but a politician has no principles. He pretends that he has principles, but if he is a politician worth the name, he cannot have any principles. Those principles are just to fool people. He is on an ego trip. He uses all sorts of principles. I have heard about one politician. In an election campaign, he was speaking in his constituency, and there was a great controversy. about prohibition, whether alcohol should be totally prohibited or not. When he was speaking, a man stood up and asked "That what is your instinct about prohibition. Now he became a little sick, because half the population was for it and half was against it. And he could see half the crowd was for it and half the crowd was against it. Whatsoever he says is going to lose half the votes. If he says yes, then too. If he says no, then too. It was really difficult. He was in a dilemma. And then he said, You all are my friends. Please raise hands who are in favor and who are against it. Half the people raised their hands in favor and half against. And he said, Good. I am with my friends. I am all for my friends you are all my friends and I am for you. Now he is neither saying yes nor saying no. The trip is of the ego. How to become more powerful? How to control others? Religion is just the opposite it is not in any way an ego trip. One has to lose his ego. And one is not trying to be powerful. In fact, one is trying to understand the total helplessness of the part against the whole. One is learning how to surrender, not to conquer. And one is not concerned with others, One is totally concerned with himself. If this much is possible, that I can become aware of my own being, enough, more than enough. The politician is concerned with the outside world, he is an extrovert. The religious person is an introvert. He is not concerned with things, with the world, with situations. He is concerned with his quality of consciousness. A religious person is trying to find how to be fulfilled. A politician is trying to show to the world that I am somebody. He may not be fulfilled, but he pretends that he is fulfilled. The politician has opted for pretensions, hypocrisy. He simply wants the whole world to know that he is somebody special, extraordinary, very happy. Deep inside he may be carrying a hell, but he believes If he can fool everybody else, he will be able to fool himself. That dream is never fulfilled. You can fool everybody else by smiling, a false smile. But how can you fool yourself? Deep down, you know everything is getting cold and dead. Deep down, you know everything is empty vain. But one goes on thinking that if I can convince everybody else that I am somebody, then somehow I will be able to convince myself that I am somebody. The politician is a liar. He is trying to lie to himself and to the whole world. The religious dimension is the dimension of being true, authentic. Once it happened, a man entered in a bar and said, Bartender, I want you to meet my dog. He talks. I will sell him to you for only ten dollars. Who You think you are kidding, said the bartender. The dog, tears in his eyes, looked up. Please buy me, he said. This man treats me cruelly. He never gives me a bone. He never bathes me. He is always kicking me around. And once I was the richest trick dog in the country. I performed before presidents and kings. My name was in the papers every day, and so he does talk, said the bartender. But why sell a valuable dog like that for only ten dollars? Because, said the customer, I hate liars. (coughs) A politician is a liar. And he is trying to convince himself through convincing others. A politician is almost mad, mad for power. Many people are in the madhouses in the world. Somebody thinks he is Adolf Hitler, Somebody thinks he is Napoleon. Somebody thinks he is a Ford or Mao And they are in the jails, are in the madhouses, houses, are in the hospitals. Because we think they have gone mad. Somebody thinking himself that he is Adolf Hitler is thought to be mad. But what about Adolf Hitler himself? The only difference is this, that this, ma- this madman who thinks himself that he is Adolf Hitler has not been able to prove that's all. He is innocent. His madness is just innocence. Adolf Hitler proved to the world that yes, he is. Adolf Hitler is more mad than this man. His madness was such that he proved to the whole world that he is somebody. If he cannot create, then he can destroy. There are only two possibilities. Either you can be a creator, and then you feel a certain fulfillment that comes to a mother when she gives birth to a child, or that comes to a poet when a poetry is born, or to a sculptor sculptor, when he has created something, a beautiful piece, in marble, in stone, in wood. Whenever you create something, you feel enhanced you reach towards peaks, you get higher. All people who are creative are close to religion. Religion is the greatest creativity because it is an effort to give birth to yourself, to become a father and mother to yourself, to be again-born, to be reborn, through meditation, through awareness. A poetry is good, a painting is good, but when you give birth to your own consciousness, then then there is no comparison. Then you have given birth to the ultimate poetry, the ultimate music, or the ultimate dance. This is the dimension of creativity. On the rung of creativity, religion is the last, that is the greatest art, the ultimate art. That's why I call it the ultimate alchemy. Just the opposite is the rung, the ladder of destruction. People who cannot be creative become destructive, because through destruction they can have a vicarious feeling that they are powerful. When Hitler destroyed millions of people, of course he had a very powerful feeling that I am somebody, I can destroy the whole world. He was almost ready to destroy the whole world. He has almost destroyed it. A politician has a destructive mind, He may talk about nation, country, he may talk about utopias, socialism, communism, but basically a politician is a destructive mind. And a destructive mind cannot become enlightened. First, the whole energy should move towards construction, towards creation. Then only is the possibility that by and by you participate in the ultimate creation, that is nirvana, the ultimate creation in which you are born divine, infinite, unlimited. You expand, you spread all over existence, then you are no more a wave, but you have become the ocean the politician can never become enlightened. I am not saying that the politician cannot move towards enlightenment. He can move, but as he moves he will have to drop the politics. A politician is also a human being, but he will have to drop the politics. By the time he comes to meditate he will be no more a politician, Remaining a politician, a politician cannot become enlightened. His humanity is there. Even a Hitler can become a Buddha someday. One hopes he will become. Someday far away in the future. But even an Adolf Hitler is going to become a Buddha. That is his potentiality. But then, by that time, he will not be an Adolf Hitler. Nuclear war had come and gone. Only one tiny monkey in one isolated part of the world remained alive. After weeks of wandering about, he finally came across a little female monkey. He threw his arms around her in greeting. I am starved, he said. Have you found anything to eat? Well, she said, I found this little old apple. Ah, no, you don't. He snapped. We are not going to start that all over again. <laughs> Even monkeys are worried about humanity. And I have heard monkeys talking. They don't believe in Darwin. They don't say that man has evolved out of monkeys. They don't think that man is a developed form. They think man has fallen from the monkeys. Of course, fallen from the trees, fallen from the height, fallen from the monkeys. And this is true in a way, because man has remained up to now political. The whole history up to now has been political. No civilization has yet existed which has been religious, not even Indian civilization. Not a single nation has come up to in being which is religious only rare individuals here and there, far apart, somewhere a Buddha, a Jesus, a Jarthustra, a Laosu, islands. Otherwise, ordinarily, the main current of humanity has remained political. politics is basically ambition. Politics is basically wrong, because ambition is wrong. You are not to become somebody, says religion, you are already. You are not to become powerful, you are already. you are extensions of God. You need not be worried about being powerful and somebody on a throne. Those are all stupid games. Childish, very juvenile, immature. You cannot find more immature people than politicians. In fact, in a better world. Politicians will be kept in madhouses, and mad people should be allowed to move into the world. Those mad people have not done anything wrong. They may be a little off the track, but they have not been harmful. Politicians are dangerously mad people, tremendously dangerous. I have heard that before Richard Nixon renounced his throne, (laughs) he called a meeting of his colleagues and he threatened that he has the power, he can go into the other room and he can push a button and the whole world can be destroyed between twenty minutes. And yes, he had that power. Millions of atom bombs are ready. Just a button has to be pushed. Seven times more is the power of the already ready-made atom and H-bombs then is needed to destroy this earth seven times more. Seven earths of this size can be destroyed. We have become so skilled, super skilled, in destruction. And nobody can say any day, any president of America or Soviet Russia, or China can go mad. And politicians are almost mad. Any day, anybody can push the button. And now it is only a question of pushing a button. And everybody has mad moments, angry. The threat is very, very real. Politics has been the disease of humanity, the cancer of consciousness. Drop all politics within you. And remember, when I am talking about politicians, I don't mean particularly those people who are in politics. I mean all those who are ambitious, Wherever ambition is, politics comes. Wherever you are trying to get ahead of somebody, politics comes in. Wherever you are trying to dominate somebody, maybe sees your wife or your husband, politics comes in. Politics is a very, very common disease, like common cold. the last question since i have been here i have lost my ability to concentrate it is hard for me to utter a logical sentence and i have become very forgetful i feel myself as a stupid child is that the way to the intelligence you talk about the ability to concentrate is not something to feel blessed about. It is a frozen state of the mind, a very narrow state of the mind, useful, of course, useful for others, useful in scientific inquiry, useful in business, useful in the market, useful in politics, but absolutely useless for yourself. If you become too much attuned with concentration, you will become very, very tense. Concentration is a tense state of mind, you will never be relaxed. Concentration is like a torch, focused, and consciousness is like a lamp, unfocused. My whole effort here is to teach you consciousness, not concentration. And this is the point to be remembered, if you become conscious, Any moment you want to concentrate on a particular problem, you can. That is not a problem. But if you become too much focused with concentration, the vice versa is not true. You cannot relax. A relaxed mind can always concentrate easily. There is no trouble about it. But a focused mind becomes obsessed, narrow. It is not easy for it to relax and leave the tension. It remains tense. If you meditate, first concentration will disappear, and you will be feeling a little at a loss. But if you go on, by and by, you will attend to an unfocused state of light. That's what is meditation. Once meditation is attained, concentration is a child's play. Whenever you need, you can concentrate. There is no problem about it. And it will be easy and without any tension. Right now, you are being used by the society. Society wants efficient people. It is not worried about your soul. It is worried about your productivity. I am not worried about your productivity. Man has already too much, more than he can enjoy. There is no need to go on producing more. Now there is more need to play around more. there is more need to be conscious more science has developed enough now whatsoever science is doing is almost futile now going to the moon is simply useless but tremendous energy is wasted why because scientists are now obsessed they have to do something they have learned a trick of concentration they have to do something they have to produce they, are, they have to go on producing something they cannot relax they will go to the moon they will go to the mars and they will go to and they will persuade people that whatsoever they are doing is tremendously important it is absolutely useless but this happens once you become trained in a certain thing, you go on in that line, blind. Unless a cul-de-sac comes, and you cannot go anymore, but life is infinite, there comes no cul-de-sac, you can go on and on and on. Now scientific activity has almost become ridiculous. Religious activity is totally different. It is not worried about being more efficient. The whole point is how to be more joyful, how to be more celebrating. So if you go with me, by and by, concentration will relax, and in the beginning you will feel afraid, because you will see your skill disappearing your efficiency is disappearing. You will feel you are losing something that you have gained with so much effort. In the beginning it will happen. The ice is melting and becoming water. The ice was solid, something, concentrated. It becomes water, loose, relaxed, flows in all directions. But any time you need ice, the water can be turned into ice again, there is no problem. Just a little more cooling is needed. This is my own experience. Whatsoever I say, I say my with my own experience. The same has happened to me. First concentration disappears. But now I can concentrate on anything. There is no problem but I don't remain in concentration. I can concentrate and relax. Whenever the need arises, just whenever the need arises, you walk. You just don't sit on the chair and go on moving your legs. There are few people who go on, because they cannot sit relaxed. Then you will call that this man is restless. Legs are needed in perfect order. Whenever you need, you can walk, you can run. But when there is no need, you can relax, then the legs are no more functioning. But your concentration has become almost like as if you are continuously preparing for an Olympic. Hmm? Runners in an Olympic cannot relax they have to run a particular amount every morning evening. They are continuously on the go. If they relax for a few days, they will lose their skill. But I call all Olympics political, ambitious, foolish. There is no need. Competition is foolish, There is no need. If you enjoy running, perfectly good, run and enjoy. But why compete? What is the point of competition? Competition brings illness, unhealthiness. Competition brings jealousy and thousand and one diseases. Meditation will Allow you to concentrate whenever need arises. But if there is no need, you will remain relaxed, flowing in all directions like water. It is hard for me to utter a logical sentence, feel blissful, feel blessed. What is the point of uttering logical sentences? Utter nonsense. Sounds gibberish like birds, like trees look this way. Is this logical? (laughs) The tree is enjoying delighting simply setting away the past delight sing utter sounds. forget all logic by and by you will become more alive, less logical of course that is the price one has to pay. You become dead if you become more logical. You become more alive if you become less logical. Life is the goal, not logic. What you are going to do with logic? If you are hungry, logic is not going to feed you. If you need love, logic is not going to hug you. If you are thirsty, logic will tell you water is H2O. It is not going to give you water, real water, no. It simply functions in formulas, maxims. Look life, look at life, and by and by you will understand that life has its own very illogical logic be attuned to it. That will become the door for your ecstasy, samadhi, nirvana. And I have become very forgetful, perfectly good. (laughs) If you can forget, you will be able to remember more forgetfulness is a great capacity it simply means getting the past dusted off no need to remember everything that happens almost 99% is trivia what you go on remembering just think what what you go on remembering write it down and just look at it, it is trivia. What goes on in your mind? You will not be able to show to your intimate friend because he will think you are mad. This goes on in your mind. It is good to forget. Forgetfulness is a great capacity because that will allow you to remember. It is part of remembrance. The useless has to be forgotten so that the, the useful is remembered. And useful is very, very small. Useless is too much. In twenty-four hours' time millions of information are collected by the mind. If you collect it and remember it, you will be mad. I have heard about one man. He was presented to the governor-general once in India, because he was a man of rare memory. He knew only one language, Rajasthani Hindi, a poor man, uneducated. But you tell him anything in any language and he will never forget. He will repeat it like a parrot, not knowing what it means. In the governor-general's palace he was called. The governor-general was surprised to know his capacity. Thirty other persons were called, and in thirty languages they uttered few sentences. In a certain manner it was arranged. The man will go to one person, the first and the first person will say first word of his sentence then he will go to another he will say the first word of his sentence another language then he will go to third this way he will go to 30 people then he will come again to the first now he will say his second word and this way again many rounds many hours it took and then he repeated all the sentences separately. The Vaisaraya was simply puzzled, he could not believe. But this man went mad. This much memory is dangerous. This type of people are almost always idiotic. Too much memory is not a good sign. It simply says that you have a very mechanical mind. It is not a sign of intelligence. Hence you hear so many stories about great scientists, philosophers, of absent-mindedness. They are not people of great memory. Great intelligence has nothing to do with great memory. Memory is mechanical, intelligence is non-mechanical. They are totally different. So don't be worried. It is good. The memory is relaxing. Many things will disappear. A space will be created in you. And in that space, you will be able to become more brilliant, more intelligent, more understanding. Intelligence means understanding. Memory means a quality, mechanical quality of a repetition parrots have good memories. Don't be worried about your memory. In the beginning it happens, because much rubbish you have accumulated. When you meditate, that rubbish starts disappearing, falling away. And I feel myself a stupid child. That is the way, the way to the kingdom of God. Lao Tzu says, Be like an idiot in this world so that you can understand the illogical ways of Tao. Jesus says, be like a child, because only those who are like children will be able to enter into the kingdom of God. Don't be worried about these things, the non-essential is dropping away. Feel happy and grateful. Once the rubbish has dropped, the real will arise. Non-essential gone, the essential will arise. This is the way to reach to one's own source. But many times you will get scared because whatsoever you have valued up to now you are losing grip on it. But I can tell you only one thing, I have travelled the same path and have passed through the same phases. They are phases, they come and go. And your consciousness will become more and more purified, virgin, pure, uncorrupted, That uncorrupted consciousness is God. Enough for today.